You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Well, welcome to Preaching Source. I am not Barry McCarty. Uh, I'm Stephen Smith, who has the opportunity to teach here, and we're turning the tables on Dr. McCarty right now. It's very exciting, at least for me. I'm not sure for him. And the interviewer is going to be interviewed. And so, Dr. McCarty, uh, it's odd to say it, but welcome to Preaching Source. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here on this side of the microphone today. All right, well, let's jump to it. A couple of autobiographical things that I think are significant. We know you as this world-class, nationally renowned parliamentarian, where you're taking the rules of parliamentary procedure, adjudicating them, and applying to the current situation. Um, But your history, however, is as a pastor of four churches. Is that correct? Yes. You were Mm -hmm. president of a college Mm -hmm. uh, at one point, said your hand in preaching as well as administration. What I'm most interested in as we talk about preaching and delivery today is you went from Bible college to a master's in preaching, but then a PhD in rhetoric. So why? Why a PhD in rhetoric? Well, my, the, the degree from the University of Pittsburgh is, is rhetoric and argumentation, which were two fields that are uh, the foundation of preaching and apologetics. So for me, the, the PhD was an opportunity to gain expertise in the tools that a preacher and an apologist uses, the, the, to master the tools of thinking and speaking, of logic and language. And so uh, rather than get uh, a degree specifically in the subject of, of preaching or the subject of apologetics, I went one level deeper and uh, did a degree in the tools which uh, preachers and apologists use. Okay. Well, that's that's fascinating. I have about a hundred questions about that, but let me just ask one: Are there rhetorical tools that can help a preacher be more effective? Yes, the whole uh, field of persuasion is precisely what's happening in in biblical preaching. Uh, in fact, the same you can find the same biblical word uh, and words for persuade patho. Uh, to persuade, you'll find that same word popping up in the Greek and Latin, uh, the Greek rhetoricians. Uh, you, you can you read those same biblical terms will pop up in Aristotle, Isocrates, and uh, some of the other ancient Greek writers, and then the Latin uh, rhetoricians, Cicero, Quintilian, the Latins, they pull that concept right over. So as the Apostle Paul says, we persuade men. That's yeah. what the whole field of rhetoric is. Well, I mean, you know this, but Donald Bullmore argues that Paul grew up in a context, perhaps in Tarsus, where he would have known Cicero, because Cicero was the governor there of the province of Tarsus would have been in. So there's no extent evidence that there's some direct connection, but certainly some, some general connections. And that, that brings me to one more question before we get into the practical aspect of it. Is rhetoric a cold, hard, secular science that the preacher should reject? Because after all, the preaching moment is about the Spirit of God flowing through him. It's not what we do. It's what the Spirit does. Doesn't that mean we should not attend to rhetorical device, but rather simply stay with the text? Well, it, it is God who chooses to use human language to communicate with human beings. Rhetoric is simply the effective use of human logic and language to persuade people of ideas. I, I would... Uh, 
proffer to you that the world's very first rhetorician is God himself, because he's the first one who speaks to us to persuade us to love him, to obey him. He calls us persuasively into relationship with himself. Uh, God is the original rhetor. All right, Dr. Carmen, let me ask you, why should a preacher seek to improve his delivery? Well, uh, by its very nature, uh, preaching is, is a spoken activity. Uh, uh, across the country and around the world each week, preachers don't write sermons and then email them to their congregation or put them in a postal box. They, they step into a pulpit and deliver them. So it, by its very nature... Preaching is a spoken activity, and, and that's a part of its, of its real power, is what the human voice, the human voice can do things to the human heart that, that the written letter can't do. I, I think it was Plato. Well, Plato didn't like having his lectures or dialogues written. It, it's believed that his students actually wrote his dialogues. But, uh, and Plato was suspicious uh, he, he, of the written writing right. things it down. He, memory. Yeah. He said, uh, it's the spoken word that is alive. The written word is but its ghost. And while I, 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 I'm glad that Plato's bias didn't carry over. We, we wouldn't have anything of his uh, to read in this century. But he did have a point, and that is it is the spoken word that is alive. And when the human voice communicates ideas, uh, that has a power that writing doesn't. Writing is powerful. Uh, it pales in comparison to the human voice speaking to the human heart. And that's the essence of preaching. So delivery is important, how we do that. So it's important to improve our delivery. Um, it's not acceptable just to say God's going to work all this out. We actually need to focus on it because he is the author of language. Um, so how can we do that? Give me, give me some general things. How can a preacher improve his delivery? Well, starting with the, 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 at the bottom with the most fundamental things is that a preacher needs to speak clearly um, and most people are able to do that if they will simply stop and think about speaking clearly. I've, in fact, this is one of the things with students that uh, are worried about their delivery. I, I try to reassure them, no, th it's not as hard as you think it is. You just need to think about doing it. Um, the, uh, for, for starters, uh, just in the physical act of speaking, it helps to relax. Now, you need to be energetic. You, there, there needs to, you need to talk from your toes up and to be energetic. You, a preacher doesn't need to slouch. He, uh, he doesn't need to be lethargic. But uh, while he's being energetic, he doesn't need to tense up. And especially, you need to be careful about not tensing uh, the muscles in your neck and in your throat. Uh, your voice is produced by a muscle system in your body. There's 17 muscles that control your vocal folds. And then you have all of these facial muscles, that, the articulators, your tongue, your teeth. Your, you know, the, the voice comes up into your nasal passages. And so to have your body uh, alert, alive, but also relaxed, it, it helps the sound to come out. 
a preacher ought to do what every good speaker does. You ought to start your voice at your belt and not your throat. You need to breathe deeply, breathe well. The sound is produced by vowels and consonants. The, the vowels are the river of speech, and the consonants are the banks. So the, the vowel, that's, that's where the sound, the sound comes out on the vowels. That sounds a little odd to emphasize it, but you think about it, those, those vowels, well, that's, that's breath. Your voice rides on your breath. Uh, so the, the, uh, breathe and, and talk from your belt, not your throat. Let those vowels, open your mouth, let those vowels come out. But you also need the articulation of the consonants. Uh, the, and that's done with the tongue and the teeth. And, uh, but it, you need both of those. You need the river of speech, the volume, the, the sound comes out on the vowels. But it gets articulated. Now, I'm, I'm exaggerating that. Right, right. But you can hear articulate. It's the T, the 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 consonants that give the banks to the speech. So that all of that is a part of speaking clearly. And uh, while uh, there may be some people who need to overcome a speech impediment, uh, some people may need to overcome bad habits. Most, most of us know how to speak clearly. We just need to not be lazy and need to think about it. I would add one other thing, and that is if you want to speak clearly, make sure you speak properly. Uh, I, think, I think a good English dictionary ought to be on the desk of every preacher like a Gideon's Bible is in a hotel room. Uh, it <laughs> ought to you, be there. Would you recommend one? Uh, the American Heritage Dictionary has been my dictionary of choice for years, largely because they are famous for their usage panel. And uh, now that that also could be a whole nother podcast. I hope we'll do that on how yeah. to how to squeeze all the dic- uh, the use out of your dictionary. Yeah. And the neat thing is that there are uh, smartphone apps. The I I carry in my pocket right now on my iPhone is an American Heritage Dictionary app. It, it's a pronouncing app. Yeah. It pronounces huh. the words for you. There's no excuse That's for amazing. a modern preacher to ever mispronounce any word. Look it up on your app on your smartphone and and get it to talk to you. Uh, I also have Merriam-Webster's dictionary. I have uh, even the the shorter Oxford English dictionary, and all of those dictionaries have pronouncing functions. So, hey, in the day of technology, take advantage of that. So knowing how to pronounce your words and and speaking clearly, I would say that, that that's the foundation. Okay. And then uh, a second thing, I'll, gi- I'll give you three. A second thing is that you want your voice to be animated. Normal human conversation has variety in it. It's animated. There, there are changes in pitch, volume, and rate. If, if I'm telling you about the first time that I took my tiny little grandson in my— Now, you see how naturally my voice got quieter— it slowed down, and the pit, the pitch got lower because we're holding this little baby. Well, that's, that's a natural that to lower the pitch and the volume and the rate when you're holding a little baby. But then, 
the night in a convenience store when a large man with a knife came bursting out of the the, the doors toward my car. Uh, well, oh, ooh, there's danger. Uh, or the, the time we went down the rapids and I lost the paddle and I almost fell out of the ra- We'll see that your voice, y- your rate picks up and your voice gets higher and it gets louder. That's that varying of pitch, volume, and rate according to the emotion of the kind. Con- that's very natural in speech. So, uh, again, uh, like speaking clearly, if the preacher can simply think about what am I saying right now? Is this, is this a quiet passage? Is this a low passage? Is this a soft passage? Or am I saying something that I need to bang with a hammer of volume or pitch or rate? Yeah, it's part of being text-driven because that's embedded yes, in the text. You're just exactly, representing what's already exactly, there. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, I think it would also behoove a lot of, of preachers to give some extra thought to the interpretive reading of Scripture, uh, is to look, hey, those commas are there for a reason. Uh, Those periods do something. Those paragraph breaks, you know, those marks of punctuation are there because there's a, a, a break or a shift in the flow of thought. So paying attention to uh, the the content of the words and reacting emotionally to them. And that would bring me to my third, and, and really this is the most important suggestion. And if you want your delivery to be alive, see what you say. The ancient Greeks called this uh, effect enargia, uh, it means to, uh, Aristotle says, it means to put before the eyes that whatever you're talking about, you need to help your listeners see what you are saying. And the, the, the vivid images, uh, now we do this stylistically through metaphors, we do it by telling stories, but the, the power of description is an incredible rhetorical force. And that's not just stylistic in choosing the words that you're saying. It's also physical in your delivery, because as you see what you say, you, uh, if you're describing a scene, a, a preacher who's describing, say, the, the apostle John at the cross of Jesus, he was there. He was a witness. He saw the, the soldier pierce the Lord's side with the spear. He saw the blood and the water coming out. And for a preacher to tell that, to describe that, the, the more that the preacher can see what John saw, he will feel what John felt, and your listeners pick up on that. You, uh, it's an important principle. You cannot push a listener into feeling a certain way, but you can draw him into that feeling, and you need to get into that feeling yourself. You need to see what you're saying. You need to have a vivid realization of what you're saying. Uh, and so this, and that's, that's what the Greeks called enargia. The, uh, when Quintilian picked it up in his Institutes of Oratory, he called it vividness. But, but the idea is, is seeing what you say and then placing that before the eyes of your listeners. Enargia. I, I think it's probably the single most uh, powerful rhetorical effect is to, is to feel the appropriate emotion for what it is that you're saying by seeing it and being in the scene and then drawing your listeners into that scene.
let's talk about the preaching moment for a second. So preachers in the pulpit, should he read his sermons? Some guys do that. On the other extreme, memorize. Uh, so no notes or extemporaneously. Which, what do you recommend? Uh, whenever I'm asked about reading sermons, I think of the story of the two little old ladies that came out of church the first Sunday that their new pastor was there. One of them said to the other, Gertie, did you, did you like the new pastor's sermon? And she said, no. She said, well, why not? And she answered, well, for three reasons. said, first of all, he read his sermon. Uh, and secondly, uh, he didn't read it very well. And thirdly, it wasn't worth reading. <laughs> so those are three mistakes you don't ever want to make. First of all, the sermon ought to be worth preaching. Uh, but reading a sermon, uh, I'll say that I have encountered a few preachers who could read the same way that actors read scripts and were really good, but I, I can count on one hand. They are the, the very small exception. Most of us, when we read, we, it, it tends to deaden the voice. It also robs you of one of the most important tools in delivery, and that is eye contact. Preaching ought to be two-way communication. Your listeners... Uh, need to see you looking at them. I mean, how often you're in elementary school, your, uh, your teacher would know that you were telling her the truth when you looked at her. And if you weren't looking at her, she thought, well, you, your teacher, your parents, well, hey, if you can't look me in the eye, you might not be telling me the truth. There's something to that. Listeners uh, are more likely to connect with a preacher who's looking them in the eye. Uh, now, Probably the gold standard of preaching is that if a preacher is able to completely memorize his sermon uh, or memorize enough of the structure that he can preach without notes, that's the gold standard. I'll be honest with you, uh, I can't do that all the time. I, sometimes I can, but I can't do that all the time. I'm one of those guys who needs some notes. But your notes ought to be, uh, you ought to use notes like you would use a map or a GPS in driving. Uh, I, I can't drive from here to across town, the Metroplex, the other side of the of DFW. I can't drive that distance looking at my GPS the entire time. I'm going to wreck my car. Uh, when I'm driving, uh, I have to look most of the time out the front windshield, and then I have to check the rear view mirror and then the side view mirror and look at the instrument panel and then look over at the GPS or the map or the directions. That uh, Your notes ought to be like directions, a map, a GPS. It, it's something that you glance at to make sure that you know where you are in the sermon. Okay, very helpful. One last kind of open-ended question. What are some common pitfalls to avoid in sermon delivery? Well, we've already talked about several. The uh, reading is probably a, a big pitfall. Getting lazy in your uh, pronunciation and articulation. Probably the biggest pitfall is not thoroughly knowing your sermon. That's really the first thing that you have to do. And it's hard. I've, uh, for 22 years of pastoral ministry, I, I began by teaching in seminary. I'm teaching in seminary again. But in between, I'd, for 22 years, I led the life of a busy pastor. And so I know that there are evangelistic calls to make, hospital calls, committee meetings, 
you know, special things to problems you have to solve. At the, as my friend Fred Craddock used to say, he said, uh, Preacher, you got a lot of rat killing to do. And, and Fred was right. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff that a busy pastor has to do. So often the preparation for your sermon is pushed so late that you don't have time to then let that finished product work its way down into your mind, to your memory, and especially work its way down into your heart. So I would say for most preachers, make sure that you build in time after the sermon is written, after it's done, that one, that you can just lay it aside and let it rest for a little bit, but then that you can have time just to put your feet up and think about the sermon. That'll really help you in the moment of delivery. Yeah, that's great. I let Dr. Patterson use the metaphor of marinating. I like yes, that. Yes, that's a you, good metaphor. If you're scrambling, and I've been there as a pastor, and it's Saturday night or Sunday morning, and you're still putting touches, it has not, you know, it's not a part of you. It hasn't gestated right. and gotten down in you so you can work out what God's worked in you. So extremely helpful. Dr. McCarty, thank you for this. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's uh, I'm happy to be on this side of the microphone for one of the Preaching Source interviews. Excellent. Thank you so much. It's very helpful. It's fun. I learned a lot.